introduced to KPOD Radio. Patty Hallstrand, author of Time Conquers All, and her newest book, Battle for Time. Welcome, Patty. Hi, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Tell us a a little bit um, about the book itself, Battle for Time. Uh, Battle for Time is book number three in the Chasing Time series. And the first book was Time Conquers All, which was published in 2009. And then um, Rescuing Time, which is book two, was published uh, last fall, September. And then Battle for Time was published uh, in May for the Before the Leprechaun. Um, What... um Battle for Time, that's an interesting title. What inspired you to write this book? Battle for Time being the third book, found that all of the book's titles needed to be action-oriented. As I started that way with Time Conquers All, so uh, someone told me, well, you should have all the book titles being action-oriented, and I thought it was probably a wise thing. And so... Uh, it took me a while. I, I had come up with a couple different titles for book three and book four. So I decided on Battle for Time because uh, we have quite a bit of the book surrounding the battle between uh, Bengal and uh, Lay and Altair together. So Lay and Altair are the good guys, and Bengal is the bad guys. And so this is the big battle scene with. Uh, some technology that has come through time in the 26th century uh, back to the 1500s. So a lot of things that have never been seen and, and some things that are brand new ideas that I haven't seen and uh, written in, written before. So I, I bring the battle for time. It's kind of a catch on that. You're, they're, they're, they're fighting for... Uh, for that time period. And so, so then the book is about a battle in time or at this particular time? It's a battle for this particular time. So they are fighting with their neighboring country. Okay. Is there a snippet that you can share? Tell us a little bit about it. Ah, oh, Yes. Let me pull one up here. I can probably read it right from 
battle for time. And uh, it does have a few drug references, so just wanted to warn whoever is reading it. <laughs> I'm sure we'll struggle through. Sometimes people get weird about that kind of stuff. I pull that up, go ahead and ask me another question. Now, in writing the book, did you have, we all, as we write, we find characters that talk to us, we find characters who avoid us, we we find characters who we struggle with in getting their story told. Did you have a particular character that you struggled with in this story? Well, I happen to like the idea of Nora Roberts, who uh, writes trilogies, and she writes three brothers together, or three sisters, and then she breaks apart each story for each person. And so I write about Parker, and of course he's he's uh, somebody who's very deep inside me. I've had Parker inside me for a long time, um, I guess so to speak. I shouldn't, maybe shouldn't put it that way, but... Uh, being the character, character's always inside you, so uh, he's been there for many, many, many years. And so I don't really want to, I kind of struggle because I don't want anybody else to love him as much as I do. Um, <laughs> kind of, you know, like nobody can have him, nobody can have him. But <laughs> on the other hand, you're thinking you want them to like your main character, but you don't. And then uh, then you had to find, well, okay, you had the other brothers who are really interesting. And so you got somebody, you know, anyone can find different men that are interesting, obviously. And so Walker, the uh, 19-year-old brother, may be interesting to a lot of other women. And then we have some uh, younger brothers who would be definitely good for the teens and tweens. So you got you know somebody for each age group. Hmm. Okay. Um, now, this is your third book in this series. I'm presuming there are other books coming. Do you have a one, two, boatload of books still in the works, lurking? Right, well, because book four is coming out in September, and that will be the fourth book in the Chasing Time series, but I also have other books that I've been working on Um Obviously not as long as this one, and this one, of course, has 14 books coming. And actually, I had just gotten uh, an idea for one of the characters who I didn't think had a story, and now he does. So uh, that kind of makes it interesting. Um, so I got a couple of, of other stories other than just time travel romance, and including some cross-genre work in... Uh, what I call Paranormal Western. And so that's going to be a serial. Uh, so that's going to be kind of fun. And I've got some other, you know, uh, other romance work and small short stories that I'm putting out as well. Ah. Okay. So we're going to hopefully see more of what you have to offer coming soon. Now, did your publisher know about all of these stories you've got in the works? <laughs> well, I would hope so. Uh-huh. And how did you find your publisher? 
Well, I, I had tried to get uh, a big time publisher at one time, and and uh, for many years, like most people, we we really want to try to get, find a uh, find a publisher that that'll suit us. And and I had many agents who looked at it and gave me, uh, you know, really great advice and, and things that, you know, and I had some nips, but no major bias. And then a friend of mine who, who was not as impatient, not as patient as I am, mm-hmm. wanted to have his books uh, published, and I happened to be in a print shop that suddenly decided to print books, even after after I tried to spray them for five years. Uh huh. And when I started publishing for him, I said, "Well, you know, you might as well publish your own stuff." And of course, I use my own work as uh, guinea pig, so to speak, and a lot of different marketing tools to see what what works and also uh, putting them into uh, distributors that may or may not work. And so I use my books as guinea pigs um, to see what works that way when I publish other people's work, which we have 36 books now. Um, wow. We are uh, testing the, the water, so to speak. Ah. I got that snippet for you. Okay. Let's hear it. This is a short excerpt for Battle for Time, book three. Um, Set it up a little bit. We are... uh, They're on the way to take care of of an issue, and it's it's a helicopter. And we're talking about the 1500s, so obviously a helicopter is not supposed to be there. Um, Reed is a young man. He's, He's a captain and Altair's army. And he is also a uh, chopper pilot. So I'm going to start there. Reed popped in his favorite scratchy A-track of Jimmy and his screaming guitar. He grinned at Lynch, who was quite a bit older than him, but knew he also had a love for Hendrix. They were very different in appearance, even though they shared the same affinities of getting into trouble, and seeming on the edge of being crazy. Captain Charles Reed would be 18 before this Christmas, but Marco Lynch is now 48 and had been a lieutenant in Altair before he checked the military life with a freelance life in the sales of paraphernalia. He and Wentworth were making good money selling Altair-grown marijuana and other unusual products. They had just made strand their temporary home in Lay a month before Terrence and Tama had dropped in and changed her current choice of lifestyles. How the hell did I get talked into running with you? I'll never know, Reed, yelled Lynch to the young man over the jacked-up music. Hey, man, I'm your best customer, so better be nice to me, yelled Reed. Lynch smiled cordially, especially when he knew money would come from it. You know it, man. He slapped Reed on the shoulder good-naturedly. The two of them could see Bengal army coming up on the horizon and turned towards Damascus. The camp was set up not far from where they had left them after Tama's rescue. Maybe they are still in shock from the loss of all their officers and from the unprecedented appearance, Reed stated in a satisfied grin on his face. Of course, I left a lasting impression on their minds. Lynch laughed as he said, I bet you did. 
He moved back to the levers, rigged to drop the rockets onto the oncoming cannons, and waited for Reed's mark. The enemy army, however, seen a chopper coming now and knew about their high-powered guns, so they had gone into immediate action with only, the only thing closely resembling Altair's weaponry. They loaded the cannons in haste and were ready to fire when Reed came upon them. The chopper captain swerved easily out of the way of the first cannon's range and yelled at Lynch to use machine guns on the cannon operators. Lynch snagged a few on his next pass, but on their third, the cannon had been fired before Lynch and nailed the other operators. The chopper caught some powder as it went through the front windshield, barely missing reeds, through the back hull, and caught some of the engine as they passed underneath the cannon fire. Something in the engine started to smoke, and the chopper lurched forward. Reed was holding his nose up as he yelled at Lynch to prepare to drop rocket on the next pass. He came back around and pulled up their signaling Lynch to let the rocket go. The rocket hit one cannon dead on as remnants blew apart in all directions. What about the other one, yelled Reed. As Lynch has, to Lynch as he went around again. They were fighting for altitude as they could see the other cannon pointing in their direction. You sure we shouldn't get the hell out of here? asked Lynch when he saw the cannon's mouth as they were getting closer. Lynch, we will blow apart. No, oh, no, sorry. Lynch, we will blow up and if we crash with a rocket still attached. I'd rather go down on less, less chances of blowing ourselves up, don't you? Lynch could see his point. They were already flying a highly volatile piece of machinery. If they crashed with the rocket still attached, they'd be set, set ablaze like fireworks on the 4th of July. He nodded, showing he understood their chances, and he was ready to drop the rocket. The enemy shot the cannon at them before they got close enough to drop the rocket and read had to swerve sharply to avoid being hit again. Unfortunately, the powder hit the cable on the rocket, and it fell short of the intended target, taking out a water supply wagon instead. Lynch swore and got back in the seat next to Reed, as the team had, was having some problems keeping the chopper in a straight path back to Walkertown. The smoke was caught, was now billowing out the back behind them, and another 20 minutes while the young captain struggled to keep the nose in the air. There was a sudden loud sputter, and he lost the race. And how long he could keep them going and yelled at Lynch to prepare to crash. Lynch's last thought before they hit the ground was, how did one prepare to crash? Awesome. That's my action. Um, I also really love my characters. Uh, they're all different. So that way, you know, there's always something to be connected to as the reader. So, so as a writer, tell me something. Okay. In your opinion, what's the worst part of being a writer? Well, I hate editing. <laughs> uh, 
I, I hate the editing process, um, mainly because it takes so so long to do, uh, and it really should anyway. But I just hate that part, and um, that's probably the biggest thing. It's is in the course waiting for it to get printed. Uh huh. So just as a person, I guess. <laughs> now, I, I remember you talking about Time Conquerors all originally in that a large portion of the books that we're seeing now was originally one large manuscript. Is that correct? This one was one large manuscript. It was two, originally 296,000 words. Okay, and, and you've split the part. So how far into that original manuscript are we with Battle for Time? Battle for Time is uh, three three quarters of it. Wow. So, uh the book four will be the last of the original 296,000 words, and then I got brand new material um, for book five. Ah. And now that happened was I, I started writing and just kept going. Um, when I okay. got to what I considered the end of that, uh, that part, there still is one part of the story arc that still has not been resolved. And that okay. part is the so, very beginning. So. so when you write, are you old school writing with pen and paper, or are you new school doing everything on the computer in a digital age? Well, I'm a graphic designer and have been for 21 years. So uh, the interface between my creativity and my mind and going in directly into the computer is natural for me. So that's how I write okay. uh, as well. I mean, I'll, if I'm don't have something, obviously you don't have a computer nearby, I will jot some things down and also use pen if I'm coming up with ideas for characters or for certain scenes. But I like going from brain into the computer. Okay. Now, in doing that, you've got to draw your inspiration from somewhere. What That's true. Or who or... Tell us where you get your inspiration. Oh wow! I did get my inspiration. I get, I get inspired by, uh, you know, sometimes I meet people and I and they remind me of somebody. Um, pull certain, you know, things from them. You know, their name, uh, a scene from something going on around me. I get inspired by. Uh, I get inspired by a lot of different things. Uh, characters, you know, once you start writing them. They pretty much start writing themselves because they start taking over. Um, and and the, the time conquered all pretty much started from scratch. Didn't even have a character analysis or an outline. Uh, whether I suggest that, I, I you know I probably wouldn't um, because I had found the beginning of the book like three quarters of the way through, and I said, "Oh my God, there's the beginning." <laughs> <laughs> Hey, to pull that, I'll put it back to the front of the book, and then rewrite the whole thing. So, ah. uh, which is good, is it wound up being exactly what I wanted, but it obviously took a lot longer because of it. You should never be scared to do that. So, first inspiration, I'm inspired, obviously, to see if I want to keep making money, you know, to feed my son, and. Uh, I get inspired by a lot of things that are going on. Sometimes it uh, depends on what it is, if you're politically oriented or you're not. If you're religious, uh, some inspiration comes from there. Um, obviously in, your, if you're, in your writing process, do you uh, 
um, as you are inspired? Do you, do you work directly from the inspiration you get, or do you actually have goals and, and targets that you set for yourself when you write? Well, I've had some people ask me about that, too. I have a like, certain amount of words I want to write in, in a day, and I say, no, not really. Uh, try the NaNoWriMo way, which is 5,000, uh, 50,000 words in a month. And I've only made that once. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the 296,000 words, actually, if you, if you said that, that's done in six months. If you break uh-huh. that down, break that down, that actually still doesn't hit the target at 50,000 words in a month. Not quite. Okay. So even even when I did that, I was writing ah. every day, uh, it still didn't quite hit 50,000 in a month. So it's kind of hard to do. So it's so it's yeah. less about quantity? Right, because I, I believe that you know, sometimes I, I get people who, who just, just you know keep writing, keep writing, but there's so much editing to do afterwards that if they would have just taken a little more time and, you know, took a little more care in the writing in the first place, they wouldn't have had so much editing to do at the end. Considering that I, I know how to edit, I, I don't like to edit. So. Ah. so there's something to be said for doing it right the first time? Well, I mean, you're never going to get it perfect, but you do it right as you can. Uh, I do follow the the, the uh, philosophy of Ray Bradbury in that you should write it, write it, write it. And don't stop to add it yet. Okay. And then go back. You, you walk away from it for a few weeks, if you can. And you go back and, and you edit, edit, edit. And that's how he you know, has done his whole career. Ah. And so I follow, I follow that philosophy... But I also say, you know, you should try to get it decent to begin with. And the only way you can do that is to know kind of how to write in the first place. Okay. So then here's a question then. If you've, you're drawing your inspiration, you're, you're not setting specific goals, but clearly you have an idea of where you're going. Um, in, and you do prefer to get the writing done and, and do the editing after. How does this affect... Um, critiquing or say, do you do you have um, a critique partner or an editing partner that works with you on your works? Well, I got lucky and have, I mean, I did have a critique group when I started all this. And uh, and I do, I do get my partner. And uh, I've got a, I'm lucky to have gotten an editor who has followed the series from the beginning. So, Tom Conquers All, and then she edited Rescue in Time. Now she she edited Battle for Time. Now she's working on Spirit of the Way for Time, which is book four. So it's great if you can have the same editor. That way they've already read all your other work and know if you made a mistake, like got somebody's name spelled wrong. Um, or that, you know, you really did something stupid and, and plot that has nothing to do with anything. Uh, so it helps to have an editor who has read your whole series. Okay. Now you've actually started building a fan base. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I actually go to, to fan conventions and and have been going to fan conventions for like 22 years. And uh, I have a lot of fans in the uh, speculative fiction fan club, you know, fan group. 
And so right. they, these people read, read these type of the books. And even though this is a, you know, what, what I would target as romance, because it's time travel and it's romance, and you can't take the romance out of the book without it, you know, without ruining the book. Um, I still call it speculative fiction because of all the, because of the altered history involved. Uh-huh. And also the um, also the time travel is based on real science, not on she fell asleep on a bench and woke up at another time. Really irritates me when they do that. As I come from an old school uh, science fiction uh, lover, as I have fallen in love with science fiction as a young age, you know, in junior high, and I hate it when they take the easy route and don't explain the science. So uh, that's why I uh, write the way I do on, on, on that particular thing. probably why speculative fiction readers enjoy this series. Cool. Now, is there, you know, we're talking a little bit about habits and things that we build up. Is there a particular time of day that you either prefer to write or that you write best? I write best late at night. I started this when I was writing 296,000 words because I had a son and a, and a husband at the time. I don't have a husband now, but still have the same uh, type of habit in that I find my creativity to be the, the deepest at night, usually after 10. And then uh, that way, you know, there's no phone calls. There's usually no, you know, distractions. Uh, at that time, my son was younger. He was already in bed. Uh-huh. There were no distractions, no phone calls for business. So that's when the creativity can keep flowing and you can keep going as long as you, as long as you can you don't fall asleep under the keyboard. Okay, cool. Um, you talked earlier about suggesting um, or how you had offered things to some other publishers and agents and um, things like that. Did you get rejection letters? Yes. Well, I got rejection letters, but uh, I was kind of lucky in that they uh, usually sent a personal rejection rather than just a standard, you know, a standard rejection letter, a form letter, they call it. Uh, they usually said you know, what it was that, that didn't work or that, you know, that they liked the piece, but it wasn't quite what they were looking for and why. So it, it does help to know where uh, where you went wrong, so to speak, or that, you know, it's just that editor is just not interested. They might like your piece, but it's not for them. And then uh, what I also suggest for other people who have rejection letters is sometimes if they send back the chapters that you sent them, if they have it folded over to a page, that's probably where they stopped. So it's uh-huh. really great to try to try to analyze what was it stopped them. So if they have it folded over and that's where they stopped or they have little marks on something, uh, you should take a look at all those things and analyze it. Don't don't say, oh, well, you know, screw them. I don't want to be with them anyway. No. You kind of say, what is the motivation? What's the problem? Is it is uh-huh. it something wrong with my manuscript, or does something wrong with this person? Is this something like my stuff? 
because then the time to analyze that and not take it personally. Yeah. Um, did you get a lot of rejections or? No, not really that many. Um, I, I didn't. I sent out to well, probably about ten, and uh, either I you know, either they never sent me anything back at all, or they sent me something back saying saying, "Well, um, we liked your piece, you know, we liked your story, but we don't think it's enough science," which was kind of funny considering that they asked were uh, were publishing werewolf stories. But, you know, Teresa's own. Um, so, you know, they all had something to say about why it was specifically that they weren't interested in that particular piece. I had one agent who said that he didn't think I could hold on to the series long enough. Okay. He thought it was, he said, well, you know, you're, you're a new author. He said, I think that you bit off more than you can chew. I think that this, this is going to be, your story is going to be too deep for you. And I was like, well, I guess I'm going to have to count you wrong. I'll have to show him. So that's what I'm doing. (laughs) So when we talk about you finding a new publisher, you chose to set up your own company. Well, I didn't really choose to set up my own company. Unfortunately, other people wanted me to set up my own company. And uh, I said, well, in that case, forget it. I'll just, you know, pull in the stories and go ahead and publish them. And the reason why is because the change in the market has, has, uh, publishing has changed. The stigma of self-publishing is not there as deep as it used to be. Okay. So um, because of that, we can still here make money. And if I get, you know, I know the magic number is 3,000 books. If I get 3,000 sales in my book, then I can actually take it to any publisher I want at that time and say, hey, uh, I got 3,000 sales. Would you be interested in, in, in taking a look at the series? And we have a lot more self-published authors who are actually doing that. Awesome. So then what is AZ Publishing's focus as a publisher? Well, our focus is we don't really have a focus. What we have is, is we are trying to help especially new authors uh, or authors who want to reestablish themselves. Uh, I've got one author who had published his, his books elsewhere and had made mistakes and had gone with uh, uh, like iUniverse and some of these other uh, companies who don't really take care of their authors. And so he pulled the rights back from them and remastered his, his series and went under S. Ah. So, uh, which is great because it was time travel, and that's my favorite subject. <laughs> so, it, you know, he, while mine's time travel romance, is his not romance, but he's got time travel elements. And then okay. we also have urban fiction. We've got nonfiction. So it really comes to this type of market, and uh, we don't really need to have a specific fo- focus, I'm finding. Um, we can okay, so that's one aspect. Anything. So this represents one aspect. Daisy Publishing is different from other publishers. Yeah, because a lot of them say, "Well, you know, we just only want romance, or we don't want romance at all. We want uh, straight science fiction." Which I don't—I'm not sure of anybody that's got anymore. But 
science fiction fantasy toward basically science fiction fantasy, although they do have their own romance line now. So uh, while they may not have, uh, they may, the issue is that they may not have, um, under the tour name, they may not have all these genres. But they have subgenres in uh, other imprints underneath the house. And that's kind of what we've done, we've set to do too, is that we've got other imprints underneath us that have the focus of like urban fiction. And so all the urban fiction would go under that house. Ah. Uh, so this allows you to take. So having these additional imprints allows you to take submittals in other genres. Right, especially if they're, if they're all being uh, sent to the same type of distributor because not every distributor wants everything. So there probably are urban, urban ones who take nothing but urban fiction. So Lazy Publishing is accepting other um, other publish, uh, other authors to submit works. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and I would probably suggest sending it to uh, online. We have azpublishingservices.com. There's a submission page there. Uh, so that's az, like in Arizona, publishingservices.com. Also, I have my own website for Time Conquers All series, and that would be timeconquersall.com. And on there is all the different different books and all the synopsis for all 14 books. So you can see where the series is going. All right. Um, so what what sort of what what other imprints do you actually have? to offer as subject areas or genres for uh, potential authors that want to submit? Okay, well, I usually try to avoid poetry, but, I mean, I do have uh, Be Uplifted Press, although we're not quite certain if they're going to be taking anything in the near future. Um, so that's still up in the air. We are, uh, of course, we have the a couple other side uh, ones, ones uh, health, Oriented health and diet oriented uh, imprint, and so that of course is, is one genre on its own. Um, I've taken actually most. Uh, we do have the idea puddle, which is more nonfiction. Okay. We have a, a series that's going out, which is the common sense guides, and they will have their own website very soon. About, you know, common sense. Um, subjects, and they're all nonfiction that people might know something about that are uh, help to teach people something that they, they're starting to lose in their everyday life, like how to fix uh-huh. a car. Well, yeah, okay. okay so there's, cool. there's several imprints, and you can go on AZ Publishing and see some of them. Obviously, Underground public Publications is the urban fiction. Ah, So, in publishing a book, what other kinds of things do you do for your authors to help them get their books out into the marketplace and sell them? Well, it starts from the very beginning. Obviously, you know, you need to take a look at the manuscript first. 
figure out whether or not that author is actually willing to do any marketing because that's what it takes nowadays. It's not just the publisher's job. Um, you take a look at the mar- at the manuscript, you know, find their them an editor. I do free we do freelance editing, so um, that way we have freelance editors who do the work. They go one on one with the author to be able to um, read and obviously ask some questions. Um, it'd be plot as well as you know uh, your general punctuation and grammar. And then at that, yeah, once you get the editing done, you've got the cover design, which either you can find somebody for or, you know, we do believe in a la carte, so if you already have a cover designer, uh, then, of course, we would give it specifications so that way that cover designer will give us a file that's printable. And uh, otherwise, I do a lot of the, the covers myself because, again, I've been a designer for 21 years. So uh, quite a few of the covers on AZ Publishing Services Bookstore uh, was designed by me. Okay. Um, and I helped the, the author to figure out what they should have on the cover. And uh, that helps them to market the book. It's really the first thing, first line of defense we the cover. you got to have a good catchy cover and a catchy title, otherwise your book is not going to go any further than uh, your friends and relatives. Uh, and then, of course, what we have the, the interior design and and how does actually do the marketing. Okay. Now, what kind of marketing is available for potential authors that might look to AZ Publishing? Well, obviously, we have a talk radio. We've got uh, interviews on Facebook. I do a lot of very heavy uh, Twittering as well as doing Facebook. I even go as far as uh, helping authors to figure out how to do their Facebook page. And I do interviews right on Facebook as well as we pull on music in order to uh, symbolize what we're a discussion at that time. So uh, we, we do a lot of social media. We also go to all the conven- you know, a lot of conventions of you know throughout the year, and so everywhere I am, the books are always there. So we sell the books uh, at the conventions. We sell the books at events. We do book launch party twice a year. Uh, we have one in May at the Leprechaun. We're doing another one uh, for the fall season in uh, at the Coppercon in September. Uh, we'll be out at Tuscon. We also go out of state. We lost con last year. So every again, everywhere I am, is the books are. And awesome. Uh, wherever. We also, of course, have Amazon, and uh-huh. we have dis- distribution online. We also have the eBooks already up, and of course, that's in every place. It's FarnsandNoble.com. That's in. Uh, Smashwords. That's and uh, it's going into Libris. It's also going into uh, several other online services, and uh, we're even getting a distributor out of India. So it's expanding. Ah, okay. Let's let's go back to being an author in working with your publisher, and what what are some things specifically that an author can do, as as you yourself, I'm sure, are in the process of doing to promote your own books. I mean, the publisher can only do so much, right. and I would imagine that as a publisher you've got a lot of books to 
publicize and market out there, what can the author do to hedge their bets and increase their own odds? Well, the first thing they do is obviously get familiar with social media. I mean, it's here to say they're not getting around it. Uh, I don't care how old school you are, you're going to have to live with it. Um, finding uh, lo- local markets, finding your bookstores that are local, especially independent bookstores, that you can go in and introduce yourself and show your book and get some events and get the book into their bookstore and consignment or however they'll take it. Um, uh-huh. I help I help them with that because I have a lot of them say, well, everybody wants wholesale, so they start freaking out. And I have to get on the phone and say, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and uh, they said, that's fine. There's no problem at all. The wholesale, unfortunately, have to go through the publisher um, because we have discounts for just for bookstores. So then, of okay. course, then I have to finish the deal instead of the author. But that's okay. We we make we do however we need to do it in order to get the books in the store. But that's what right. the author needs to do is do some legwork. If they have uh, book reviews they want me to send to, then they need to you know make the first contact, send it to me, and then I'll finish it. But I can't do it all. So, um, because I've got, you know, 36 other books. They need to understand <laughs> that I want to have more than that. And so I, uh, everybody needs to help each other. If you're writing something that is uh, a nonfiction that, that somebody's not really interested in, but they might like romance books, then you need to say, hey, I'm going to suggest that, you know, uh, somebody else, another author in AZ Publishing is interested in uh, romance. I, I would suggest this book. And then send them their way, because it's all part of helping. Cool. Um, okay. Can you hang on a second? Yes. So, um, okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I had a question asked of me, so I was trying to take that question. All right. So as we um, – so we've talked about, as an author, you're going to get on, on social media, and examples of social media would be, what, Facebook, um, Twitter. These are things I've heard of. What other things might we uh, try out? Um blog you got your own blog if you if you have your own blog, which I would suggest for an author, but don't just you know uh don't just put it up and then think it's gonna happen overnight 'cause so it's usually nine to eighteen months before you actually get a following on 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 a blog okay and that's not true um but if you if you ask other bloggers to interview with you. And vice versa, and share um, obviously like-minded blogs. Then you can get a lot more traffic because you've got, you know, you're reciprocating back and forth from other blogs. So you can, you, uh, I do also set up blog interviews with other bloggers, not only for myself but for other authors. Uh, that way, they can they can uh, keep the uh, keep their name out there. Okay. And that's that's really key is to keep their name out there. And if they have a blog, if they're fiction, then they can uh, 
actually have a character blog. And what that is is... What's a character blog? (laughs) A character blog is, let's say that my story, Sign Conquers All, and I want, uh, and I said, well, obviously Tame is the most interesting part of that series. She's the heroine. But she also has animals that she, she, she communicates with. So I so, said, well, what if I took it, you know, before we met, before she met Parker, what was his relationship with the animals? So I make I put her into the blocks, her own character. Uh, that obviously, she's talking. She is, uh, okay. she's she's talking about how she met uh, Aspen, the tiger. How she's talking about who's, you know, the birds that she communicated with. She's talking about, you know, her father dying. It, it's It's, whole host of things that she could be talking about as if it was a journal. And you also take answers. You know, people can actually ask questions. I actually haven't had anybody do that. It may be funny, it may be funny to do that. But uh, ask questions. And say, okay, this character obviously has to be somebody who knows the series, at least. Um, and they can get on there and ask questions of Tama, and Tama will answer. Okay. Obviously, she's answering through me because I'm not crazy. But, you know, <laughs> but the thing is that your character is always inside you, so it's not that hard to uh, to talk as if it was her. So I will use utilize uh, if you're in fiction, utilize character blogs. If you're not, and you're nonfiction, or let's say that you're comfortable, you know, writing as your character. Then find the obviously you did some research when you wrote your book, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. So you kind of have become an expert in that particular area. Uh, mine is on Indian India history, and uh, obviously the, the tiger, the tigers are endangered species now. So I, I believe in following that and talking about that. So a character both, blog will talk about. Not necessarily what's in the book, but subjects right. and topics related to the characters that might apply to our uh, current events and things like that. Well, obviously, it depends on your time period that you're ta- you're writing about. Okay. Um, if if you have a contemporary person from a you know, character from this time from timeline, you might actually write about their political view of what's going on in in, in the country or what's going on in the world. This actually makes that that character seem more real. Because they actually have opinions that may not be in your book. Okay. But obviously so they how does, if they were great. So here's a question then. If if you have a character blog, is that something that can help to market your book? Well, again, every little bit does. And and character blog is you, you let everybody know, hey, you know, I have a character blog, and of course, you let you let people know about it, and you know, people come in and read it. Uh, I got you know a couple of my fans who actually read it, and they like the interaction with you know uh, with the, with Tama with the animals. Okay. And, uh, so that's what most of my 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 fans like is the interaction between Tama and the animals. Obviously, the interaction between Tama and Parker, obviously, but they like the difference with how she you know, communicates with the animals. So that's what I, that's what I do. Obviously, you're going to let everybody know, hey, I not only have a blog for me as the author, 
Well, I got something cool. I got a character blog. If you want to know okay. what Kame is doing or what she's thinking about or, you know, things that are going on in her life, then you get on the character blog and you'll read about it. Ah. Okay. So so then, so, so to recap a little bit, we've got the idea of getting on Facebook to market your book and promote it using a character blog. Um, I've heard of Twitter before. How can one use Twitter? Market your book. I use Twitter quite heavily for to let everybody know. Like for instance, for the show, I would tw- you know I tweeted. Um, it's on Twitter. It's on Twitter. I tweeted on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Tweet on. And okay, so, so I, I actually put it out there for events and for you know, hey, this show is going on, or I'm going to be on Facebook and talking about this, or my um, care, you know, my uh, my. Author here is going to be you know, in Milwaukee He's doing this festival thing this weekend, and I let everybody know that um, they happen to be in that area because not not all the authors are here in Arizona. I have them all over the all over the country now. I have one in in uh, I have one in the UK, and I have one actually brand new one coming from uh, Canada. So we're now becoming international. Okay. So okay, so we've talked about Twitter, we've talked about a character blog, we've talked about um um Facebook. What else what other places must we also market our books? Well, I mean there's a lot of things out there. You've got uh Goodreads, you've got uh gosh, I mean there's just uh, there is just a load of social media networks out there now. Uh, whether or not I think that you need them all, I, you know, I highly doubt that. But uh, okay. there is a, a nice little program called Ping that helps you to organize, you know, and actually if you have a an account for all these different social medias, um, it right. sends one general message to all of them. Okay. That way, as I, hey, I believe in not you utilizing time savers because I don't have enough of it. <laughs> Very right by time. I never have enough of it. So, uh, especially the, the the bigger we get, and the more work there is, the more media that I want to get involved in. Uh, there's always going to be not enough time to do everything. So, I believe in every in finding things that'll make it easier for me to help the authors. And ping ping is one of those. Okay. Um, we're just going to let everybody know a little bit about uh, you and your websites, uh, how to contact you, for example, on Facebook uh, at uh, www.facebook.com, cj.hullstrand. On Twitter, it's chance to publish at twitter.com. Yeah, the number two, so chance, the number two. Two and publish. Um, Timeconquersall.com is a website for the first book. Um, now, do you have it's links them, to the other two books as well on there? Yes, they're all in there, um, as well as the synopsis for all 14 books. Okay. And then at pjhallstrand.com, you can come and, and see your personal website that probably covers all of these plus other interests, correct? Well, that's my graphic design website that shows a lot of different projects I've done um, because I do graphic design on the side as well. As the publishing, as you know, we we just don't make enough money doing you know one thing. We got to put hands everywhere. So mm. um, I I do a lot of other 
graphic design work, and so I referred to pjholstrand.com in order to show them the different things I do. Okay. And then on acpublishingservices.com, we have links for bookstore. We've got some middle guidelines. We've got a lot of stuff there, right? Right. Yeah. So authors can come out and find out what publishing is about, what ava- what options are available, and things like that. And then we also, are up, we, we are upgrading that side pretty soon, and, and so each author will actually have their own page to the side, um, along with pictures and bio and everything. That should help uh, to increase sales as well. Awesome. Um, and then finally, we have AZ Publishing. You run a blog for the for the publisher, correct? At acpublishingservices.blogspot.com. Okay. I call that one uh, changing face of publishing. Cool. Awesome. What else might you have to offer us as as we prepare to um, to wind down here? Well, I, what else I would, would you like to say. <laughs> I would uh, welcome anybody who has a story to tell. Um, and I would welcome them to, uh, you know, to find the right publisher. You know, if I'm not the right one, that's fine. Uh, to find the right one, though, and not to get uh, to take the first person that says yes to you. Uh, you need to spend the time to edit your work because there's no other way to do this. So, what uh, kind of things should someone look for in a publisher? Well. You got to find out. Uh, you go through editors um, and editors. You go on that side, find out. Uh, I would check on on the publisher at that spot first. Uh, you, you know the agents as well. I would you know never get into an agent unless you find out a little more. And it's about research. Research who you're dealing with. Do others do other authors recommend that publisher? I have other authors who, who recommend me. That's it. honestly that's, that's how I've gotten the authors I have. I've been to conventions, I've talked to authors, and, and they've referred me. And recommendations for a publisher are not always necessarily just on whether they've taken your rights or held your rights or um, dealt with the book fairly and so forth, but it's also about the fees they charge and how quickly they respond, right? Well, you never expect a publisher, but depending on the size of the publisher, um, to get a hold of you immediately. There's, I mean, they, they've got hundreds of other manuscripts to look at. Um, I get you know, far more than I want, uh, only because I find that the authors, as soon as they say the end, they send it to me. Uh, that's not the end. <laughs> that's just the beginning. Because you need to put it aside and actually leave it alone for a little while and go back and actually reread it. Uh, read it out loud. Um, that's really critical. You need to read it out loud. Read it to others. Get comfortable. I'm still uncomfortable reading my own stuff. So it's good. I just I, I read everybody else's and I wind up not really reading out loud brothers. So I got to get more comfortable with that. And I suggest the same thing with everybody else. They need to be comfortable reading their stuff in front of other people. Uh, but you know, they need to do all these things. 
And I always say that what you don't know about this market, this publishing industry, that's going to kill you. So research. Don't jump into something really fast. And see if anybody refers them. Awesome. And as an author, what guidelines would you offer for new? For the new author? For not. <laughs> <laughs> guidelines would be, guidelines would be um, once you're done writing, that's just your starting for editing. Uh, your mother is not the best one to tell you that your book is wonderful, even though they always will. Um, you find out from somebody who is in the business whether or not your story is is something different or unique, or you know, because there's never anything unique anymore. But it's always a, a change. Of the of somebody else's story, or you update it, make it more now. Romeo and Juliet, you know, you make it now. Uh, <laughs> Goldilocks and the Three Bears, you know, you change it, make it a real 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 people, change the bears, you're no longer bears or something else. Uh, have the same idea, but completely different slant to the story. So um, my my key is obviously be prepared. You don't send anything raw. You you send it because you want to put your best foot forward, and you want to be proud of what you're going to publish. You want to be proud of what you've written. Well, thank you. Any last words as we prepare to close? No, I think I've done it all. I think I said it all. If anybody wants to answer, wants to ask a question, they could have. Dial in, contact us, let us know you're out there, folks. We'll take any and all questions. Take over now. Okay. Well, we're going to check them, the board here and see if anybody's on. Have the chat room or not? Some reason. Did anybody has a question for me regarding publishing or that you're an author and would like to um, to be published and would like a little more one-on-one talk about it? I'm here. The call in number is seven one four two four two five one four five. Seven one four two four two five one four five. We'll give it a couple more minutes, and if if anybody's there, please get you know go ahead and call in, or you can use the flash chat on Blog Talk Radio and ask me a question straight on there. So that way, it doesn't cost you anything for the phone call. Also, I'm going to put you. We're going to put this on hold and show a little music here, and if you. Call in. We'll go ahead and put you online. So we'll be right back.
We're back on the air. And one thing that uh, that somebody asked me while we were on break was that we hadn't discussed the near-death experience that changed your life. Oh, that's a very good point. Here we have that in our description that we didn't discuss the near-death experience. Um, it uh, started in 2003. I had a uh, operation that went bad and wound up with a staph infection that almost killed me. I was in the hospital four times that year. And I had started Tan Kung Kersal, uh, about 12 years before that, and it had fallen under the debris of a pack rat mentality and was dusty and yellowed from age. It was on a tractor-fed uh, paper, and back then it was a stop matrix printer, and not, not everybody knows about that uh, or even knows what they are. Um, but I found it after my third operation, and almost died, and I knew that I was meant not to die at that time uh, because I wasn't done. God wasn't done with me. And something else I needed to do. And when I found the Sun Conquers All story, I realized that that's one of the things that I hadn't finished. I've been writing for others for all these years uh, in uh, graphic design business, doing uh, magazines as well as you know, writing magazines and uh, other materials for and marketing materials for others, but have not finished my own work. Um, so when I found the uh, yellow copy of Time Conquers All, it had changed. Uh, it used to be just a straight romance, historical romance, and now it's so much more. It's, I didn't realize time travel was going to be any part of it when I started writing it. And also found that. Uh, didn't realize that I was going to use the Indian region of the world at the time. Um, and I had a lot of things after I wrote it that I thought, went back and found the place I wanted to, to utilize and alter their history. And I always say you have to know their history in order to know how to mess it up. And so that's what I've done with that area and created two new countries um, around India. And Bhutan is not Bhutan yet. It is out here, and they is uh, a segment of northern, uh, northeast India, on the edge of India. And so that's where they really is, in my mind. <laughs> so I wrote that story based on the fact that you guys uh, wanted to finish it, and then, of course, knew that it wasn't just that. From being a writer and going through the, ex the experience, um, I wouldn't be a publisher if I wasn't a writer. It's, it's a lot of work, and I wouldn't understand the mentality of an author unless I was one. Uh, so that's why uh, you know, being a writer myself is important to the process. And from that near-death experience, I realized that my 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 life had forever changed that point. And as most near-death experiences do, we reevaluate things that we've done and things that, you know, places we are at that time. And we have to change them. And uh, so I had a lot of changes since then. And because of that, it's made me a different person. 
and made me a stronger person. That near-death experience has, has altered my thinking, altered my life, and um, I think that has made for a lot stronger story because of it as well. So I welcome anybody to uh, share their near-death experience if they have any. I'm on Facebook. You can share with me. If you wish to share something and you have a uh, you know story that you want to tell and it has something to do with your real life and is interesting for you know in a story type of way, I am starting a new project uh, and would welcome you to take a look on Facebook. I will have a description of this particular new book series. And if you think that your story fits that, then definitely contact me. Uh, it would be exciting to get started in something a little more inspirational. And uh, I think that inspiration and memoirs are, are important because we all need to have hope. And I often tell authors this, you need to keep writing, you need to keep uh, putting little money that you that you have into yourself because nobody else is going to do it for you. You need to be able to believe in yourself because you are your own best hero or heroine. Nobody else is going to save you. You need to put your best foot forward and believe in yourself. So if you're a writer, then you need to get... You need to keep writing and you need to get your work out. That's simple. So I hope that answers the question that I got on Facebook on um, that I didn't answer the question on your death experience. And if anybody needs wants to, I do write about that at the very beginning of Tongue Conquers All. And I saw all the books. I tell that story of um, of my inspiration and why. Uh, why I keep doing what I'm doing, and of course now I have others who believe in me, and I, now, now I can't get out of it if I tried. So uh, I'm happy to be here, and welcome anybody to come in this journey with me. And if there's any other questions, I will sign off. Okay. No, nope, don't see anybody. Anybody else who's asked a question? I know there's people listening, but they're not willing to ask questions. So I'm going to sign off, and you guys have a pleasant Father's Day. And you can listen to the show in its entirety. Uh, it'll be a couple hours before it's up, and I'll also be putting that up on Facebook to listen to um, from there as well. And this is Patty Holtran signing off. Have a pleasant Sunday.